if you've been with us for the, the last few weeks, um, you'll know that we've been beginning to look at the book of Proverbs. Um, and uh, as part of that, we had a, a guidebook um, that we're going to use in small groups, and, uh, but you could easily use it on your own. And uh, we've got, I think, have we got any left, actually? Glenn, where are, where's Glenn? So the one was not true. So the one was a lie. Suddenly he's discovered the two others. So we've got three, three left. If uh, you'd like to purchase one of those for three pounds, um, then um, we've got between one and three left. And um, we're happy to sell it. But we, we kind of hope that it'll help you get to grips with um, this book of the Old Testament. And... Um, over the next few weeks, we just got sort of like dipping in to different parts of uh, that quite long book. But it's around wisdom. That's the bottom line. How do we live? I think as at the moment, it feels like every time you switch on the news, everyone's confused and depressed. It, there is a sort of a temptation sometimes just to say, kind of don't want to engage anymore because I'm not sure. Parliament is seemingly confused as to what's going to happen in the next month. Um, those who lead social media groups are confused about how do they run a multi-massive, multinational organization um, and ensure that it only does good and doesn't do harm. The whole area of sexual ethics is confusing about what can you say to who and how do you call one another nowadays in an age where so much is fluid and we're just uncertain. It's uncertain. What, how do you live well? And then, on a smaller stage, your own life's confusing. What do you do about your family? What do you do about your friends? What do you do about work? What do you do about your, your own planning? What do you do about your future? It's like we're all walking forward into a future, but few of us feel confident that we know how to live this life well. 3,000 years ago, um, the, uh, Solomon was a king, and they were bringing together wisdom for living because they were in a context where it wasn't clear, how do you live this stuff out? I don't know if uh, those of you that are old enough, do you ever look back and go, life was simpler when? Yeah, if we just answer, answer that question, that sort of sentence. Life was simpler when? How would you finish that sentence? Life was simpler when? Pardon? There were no mobile phones. When you didn't have kids. Life was simpler when? When you were a child, life was simpler when you were a child. Life was simpler when? No social media. No globalization. Life was simpler when? There were more jobs that people enjoyed doing, perhaps. Life was simpler when? Well, you can leave your door open now, to be honest, but... <laughs> <laughs> when you could leave your doors open, that sense of community that everything was going to be okay. Life was simpler when? Politicians had integrity. When we trusted, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps actually what we, what we really want to say is when we believed they had to go. <laughs> Life was simpler when? No television. 
When people trusted the church, life was simpler when... <laughs> when, it, when every supermarket was like Aldi. Um, no choice. <laughs> when there was less choice. When there were no drugs or not as freely available. Well, here's the thing. We're not going back to those days. We're not going back to those days. They're nostalgic and um, they're good memories to have, perhaps. But the idea of those days have gone. And what we'll be called for in these days is wisdom. As you live a more complicated life. And as you get older, perhaps, it becomes even more disorienting. It's like, you know, just on a really small thing, you, you realize my phone contract is coming up, so I'm getting all the calls. I know the next phone will just be on my ability to use it. Because every upgrade just takes me beyond the ability to actually use the thing. It's like every new thing just pushes a little further. How will we navigate the future? I heard this uh, great analogy. I thought it was really helpful. Um, that often when we think about the future and we think about what's ahead of us, we think of ourselves walking forwards into it. As though the future is there and it's drawing us on and we're clear about where we're going. But actually, the suggestion was that most of us, actually for all of us, what we're doing is we're walking backwards into the future. Into a future we don't know, a future we can't see, but a future that we've got to trust that we will be held. What we need is to walk with wisdom. In this book of Proverbs, a book of sayings and wisdom written down for a people who were in a new place. They were in exile. Their old life had gone. The old certainties had gone. Everything that they could rely on had gone. The old days were no more. In fact, the only thing they had about the old days was a memory. By the waters of Babylon, we sat down and we wept because we remembered but now here we are and we're not sure where we're going and we're not sure what it looks like. And these proverbs, these writings were put together because actually what you need when you don't know is wisdom. I think there's, um, there's sort of two schools of Christian thought around this. When you don't know what to do, some of us simply look for signs. What is God saying? And you look for a sign. And sometimes God gives you those signs, and they are dramatic. But actually, I think the normal thing is wisdom. I think God does direct. I think God does intervene. I think God does tell you what to do. But I think sometimes, actually, what is needed is wisdom. How do you grow in wisdom? These first nine chapters were really about a father talking to a son trying to help a son grow in wisdom. And last week, um, we talked about what it means to bring families up so that actually they're wise. And I want to pick it up in chapter 9, the end of these uh, speeches, before we get into the sort of the, the shorter sayings, but in chapter 9, so in Proverbs. So if you can find a Bible, or if you can look over someone's shoulder, or you can uh, get your phone out, whatever, however you do that, um, have a look at chapter 9 of Proverbs with me. Proverbs 9, verse 1. 
Okay. Wisdom has built her house. She set up its seven pillars. She's prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She's also set her table. And she sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Don't rebuke mockers or they'll hate you. Rebuke the wise and they'll love you. Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they'll add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She's simple and she knows nothing. She sits at the door of a house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Just before you look up, if you're reading that, um, just recognize what's going on in the pattern of that chapter. So in verses 1 to 6, you have one woman inviting the simple to come to her house. And in verse 13 onwards, you have a second woman. It's the same story with a different outcome. And that's how this chapter sets itself up. It's there's, there's, two, there's two women outside two houses, and they're on the opposite sides of the street. And the first woman has a really quite attractive house. It's a nice house. It's clearly a house that's been cared for. It's a house that is actually looked after. And the woman, in my mind, the woman is elegant. She's a good-looking, elegant woman who is looking after this house, that house there, just in case you're wondering. All right. <laughs> I know taste is not universal. And then on the other side of the street, there's another house that looks like this. Okay. And if, that, if the woman outside this house, and I, I did wonder about, I, I, I spent too long trying to wonder about whether to have a picture of a woman, but it, it all got too complicated. And I just, I just thought that way lies disaster for all of us. So this woman, you've got to imagine outside this house is an elegant woman. I thought it would be better in your imagination than if I tried to depict it. And outside this house is an exciting woman. That's where I got difficulty on Google Images. <laughs> you don't want to go there, folks. I'm telling you now. It was The days were better when we just had clip art. Um, <laughs> For those of you who know what I mean by that. <laughs> okay, so outside this house is an elegant woman. Outside this house is an exciting woman. Alluring. Tempting. Seductive. And they both say the same thing. Both women outside both houses say, let all who are simple come to my house. For those who don't know what to do, 
for those who are trying to work out what life looks like, let those people come to my house. The elegant woman says, come eat my food and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and you'll live. Walk in the way of insight. So the wisdom woman, the elegant woman, is going, actually, if you come to me, if you come and seek wisdom, you will, not only will you not walk in your simple way, but actually you'll live and you'll live with insight. I think these sort of, this sort of language is so, I don't know about you, but I find it so appealing because it's like, that's what I need, insight. How do I deal with it now in this situation, with this set of circumstances? Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've been a Christian long enough to know the big stuff. I know that you've got to love people. I know you've got to forgive people. I know that you've got to follow Jesus. I know all of that. Actually, what I find difficult is, in this situation, what's it look like? Don't tell me the big stuff. I know that stuff. But what do I do when I'm faced in this conversation, in this situation, in this work context, in this family situation? That's what I need insight for. And there's one woman saying, come. I'll help you live with style and grace. I'll help you navigate your life well. And then... The other woman, the more exciting woman in some ways, she has something that sounds a bit like a riddle. She says, exactly the same, let all who are simple come to my house. And then she starts on this, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. Ah, But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Essentially, The language of stolen water, the language of secret food, is uh, talking about adultery. It's about forget your commitments. Forget those covenants. Just live for yourself and live for the moment. Adultery was the best way that the Old Testament writers often could describe what it meant to give up on God. You are the Lord's. And it's so easy to think, do you know what? I wonder if it's an easier, more exciting. Those of you that are adults know temptation. You know that actually you're tempted by the alluring and the exciting and the possibility of something new. You're excited by that possibility And here's that woman standing outside her house going, do you know what? You don't need to live this life of wisdom. Just live for the moment. And then the editor says, but little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead, which puts a whole new complexion on going for a meal there, doesn't it? Those of you that, again, old enough would remember the Hotel California, and that will be going through your head all day now. We're all just prisoners here of our own device. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. I think that's actually what that phrase is really about, um, which is just permission for you to go back and listen to it again, should you need it. This idea of there being two options in life. 
is picked up by Jesus. And at the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he says there are two roads that you can take. There's a really broad road that's really easy, or there's a narrow road that actually looks more difficult. But at that road, the narrow road, the road less traveled, the road less chosen, that's the road that will lead you to life. There are two trees. But actually, what you want is to be the tree that bears good fruit. There are two houses, a house that's built on rock and a house that's built on sand. And when the storm comes, only the house that's built on the rock will stand. But there's only one life. What's it going to be? You see, I think it's possible as Christians sometimes to live as though, well, we'll just make our own minds up going along. And then when we get into a mess, we'll pray, oh, God, help. But actually, the writer of the Proverbs and Jesus is saying, no, come, live with me. Live with my wisdom. Let me show you how. But I can't do this alone. I need other people with me. And just a simple reminder that when books like Proverbs were written, they weren't just written for individuals. In those days, it's such an obvious point, really. They didn't all have a book each. (laughs) What they had were scrolls that were written and kept in the place of worship. And it would be read to all of us. And so this idea of living wisely is not just, are you living wisely, but are you helping one another? Are we doing that? And how do we help one another do that? And I think it starts like this. There's a determination to sort of say, I want to hear and I want to be wise. And remember, wisdom's got nothing to do with intellect. Wisdom has got, I want to be able to live this life with skill before God. I want to make good decisions. I want my reactions to be good. I want that. And if I want that, the truth is I'm going to need you. And you're going to need one another. You can't do it alone, nor should you. And so we help one another. I want to be heard helping. So when I help one another, when I try and help one another, there's a number of questions we want to ask of ourselves first. I might want to think, should I say something? You know when you see people making a decision, you think, that's a bad decision. I wonder how many of you kind of are quick just to say it really quick. And sometimes there's a wisdom about helping one another that goes, should I, should I say something? I mean, I might be able to see it, but, but should I say anything? It's kind of like, what relationship have I had with you so far? Who are you to me? Why do I say something? Some of us just... I was doing a, I'll finish that sentence in a moment. Um, Some of us, I I was doing a a conference this week with a whole bunch of pastors, which is always interesting. And um, it was was fine. But as part of the talk I did, um, I was talking about grace and truth. 
And uh, I asked them to reflect on how many of them would err on truth. So you see something wrong and you want to say it. All right. And how many of them would err on grace? It was really interesting because about a quarter stood for truth. And three quarters sat for grace. And then we talked about what that was like. I wonder if we did that exercise here. I'm not going to do it here, but I wonder if we did that exercise here. How many of you would go, to be honest, when I see something wrong, I just can't help myself, but I need to say it. And how many of you would say, no, I might see something that's not right, but to be honest, I would err on, let me just think for a moment. Now, the truth is we need both. We need both. That's the truth. But actually, why am I saying, if I see you walking wrong or if I see you making unwise decisions, if I see something happening, why am I telling you that? Is it because I just want to say you're wrong or is it actually because I really care for you? And if it's the latter, then the tone will change. You see, at the end of this service, I'm going to have to have a really strict conversation with Ian about his lack of preparation for the beginning of a service. He just didn't have the music in the right order. It was a bit of a shambles. We were all standing, waiting. And I will have to speak to him and say, this is a joke. I will have to stand and say, but how would I say it? Ian, we were all standing there looking like a lemon and you need to get your act together before we start. Or, and some of you going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> it's good to know in our church we've got three quarters of people going, yeah, truth, truth. <laughs> if I wanted to, and I'm not going to, but if I wanted to, how would I do that? Why would I do that? Well, I would do it because of a relationship with him. I would do it because of a deep friendship. I would do it because actually I want him to do really well. I would do it because actually I know what's in him. In other words, I can tell people off. Or I can say it because actually the deep, deep desire is I want to walk with you because I can see who you can become. And that's the difference between telling someone off and actually enabling someone to grow in wisdom. Who, are, who is this person to you? How long will you walk with them? which, of course, is linked to how I say something. Tone, tone, tone. How many of us have discovered, you said earlier, life was better when we didn't have uh, smartphones or indeed mobile phones. And the brilliant thing about mobile phones is you can text people. And it's so much easier than talking to them, isn't it? And the worst thing is they never hear your tone. They never hear your tone. And then finally, when do you say something? It's that old saying, isn't it, that everybody is carrying a weight you have no idea about. Everybody is carrying a weight you have no idea about. So when do you say something? What else is happening? What do I need to know before I wade in? Here's the truth. What we want for one another 
is that we would be the wise people in verse 9. Instruct the wise, and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous, they'll add to their learning. We want to be people who actually are growing. We want to be people who are making good decisions. We want to be people who are actually thinking this through. But how we do that for one another is crucial. We want to be wise. I want to eat at the elegant woman's house. I want to live a life, a long life of wisdom. I need people around me to do that. I need people around me who think about how they say those sort of things. And the last thing I want to say is this, and it's really simple. And in a moment or two, I might just sort of open it and say, well, what were you thinking? But the the last thing I want to say is this. If I'm going to live this life of wisdom, then I'm going to have to come to terms with this phrase. And it's here in the middle of the chapter. In fact, some people think, again, if you've got the text in front of you, um, you see that sort of the elegant woman and the, the, the house where there's so much wisdom being offered and then the, the unruly woman, the exciting, alluring woman at the beginning, at the end. And what they think, and this isn't easy to do with Cameron. Just hold that for me. When you've got two parts of a chapter going on like that, then actually where the highlight of the chapter is, is in the middle of the chapter. So you have the two bookends, as it were, and actually where the writer really wants you to concentrate, interestingly, this is sort of like a literary device that's used in scripture a lot, is not at the beginning and not at the end, but actually in the middle. And what's in the middle of that chapter? That. And why is that? Thanks ever so much, you were brilliant. And why is that um, so significant? Well, because that's how the book of Proverbs begins itself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. When you read that or hear that, what do you think? What do you think? Don't quite understand because, yeah, to be frightened of something, it's like, isn't the whole of our message the idea you don't need to be frightened of God? It's kind of like God's through Christ has opened the door. And so it can feel a little disconcerting. Somebody else, what does it feel like? When you read it, what do you, what do you see? Okay, so the other side of it is once you've seen that God's awesome then you're kind of beginning on the step. It's like recognizing who God is is the beginning of the, the, the footsteps that will enable you to live really well. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, 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 almost like a godly fear, the fear of a healthy respect. Maybe that's closer to that idea. Reverence would be another word, wouldn't it?
How many of you have been in a context where you felt intimidated by other people? <laughs> yeah? Intimidated by other people. Intimidated by what they think of you, what they might say about you, whether you live up to their expectation, whether you um, are going to do it right. How many of you know that? And some of you know that only too well, and some of you would know that really, really often. What you're doing, what I'm doing in that situation is, I'm living in fear of them. And so the temptation when I'm intimidated by others is to play into a way where I hope that they will be okay and they'll be pleased. And I suppose, although in our sort of liberal society we struggle with it, the truth is the Bible all the way through says two things. God is great and God is awesome. A number of things. God is awesome and God loves you. But it's all of those things together. And it's kind of like a really bottom line question. Where do you want your praise to come from? Who do you want to be pleased? Who do you want to be pleased about you? See, the truth is, if you're living intimidated by what other people think of you, what other people say of you, it's insatiable. You very rarely get free of that because my life and my worth is based on what you think about me. And if you frown, I'll have a bad day. If you say something uh, bad, then suddenly I feel worthless. Actually, I want to. I want to be more bothered about what God feels about me. When we fear God, we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates. I'd rather live a life before the God who in Christ came close because actually I'm really bothered what he thinks. So tell the truth and shame the devil and shame the devil. Live a life of integrity. Say what you see, not what you think everybody else wants you to say. Live a life that doesn't take the easy route out. Live a life which is consistent with who you are because who you are is in Christ. Live a life where you decide, actually, I know what decisions I can make here. I'm not going to be swayed by them. Don't be arrogant. Don't be defensive. But be a person of conviction. Be a man of courage. Be a woman of character. For the one we serve is the one who will reward us and the one that we'll live with. It's almost like if we live without regard to him, we cut off the only branch on which we're sitting. So, three simple things. You've always got a choice. You've always got a choice. This week, you'll have choices again. You'll have that difficult choice of whether I'm going to live with wisdom or I'm going to take the easy way out. You'll always have a choice. Secondly, I need people around me and you need people around me. But actually, how we help one another is so crucial. How we have that conversation is absolutely so crucial. And thirdly, how do you build your life around something that is more than the intimidation of others? How do you live with the fear of the Lord?
at the risk of embarrassing you, I wonder if you just want to turn to the person next to you and hear them say, of all the things I was thinking while he was speaking, this is the thing I thought that I don't want to lose. So while I was chatting away, what was going on in your head that you don't want to lose? What's the one good thought you had? What's the thing that's a good reminder that you don't want to lose? Turn to the person and say, you go first. And... um, <laughs> uh, what's the thing you don't want to lose? What's the thought you don't want to lose? Okay. Just before we, uh, just let's take a couple of minutes before we move to the next part of the service. What struck you? What struck you? What did you say or, or what did you hear? But what struck you? What's worth holding on to? You've always got a choice. Yeah. And it's easy to play the victim. I couldn't help it. But actually, I had a choice. Someone else, what, did you, what were you thinking? Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that sense of... How do we engage with family and how do we engage with the, the ones that we love? What else did you what else was striking you when you were listening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and there's a real art, isn't there, in knowing how to tell the truth. There's an art in knowing how to tell the truth. And, and you sometimes wish you hadn't bothered, yeah. But actually, it's kind of like, at the end of the day, what sort of person do you want to be? The one that tells the truth, because if you're the one that tells the truth, then people know they can rely on you. What else were you thinking? Yeah, Corinne. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that idea that sometimes the, the, the idea of trying to offer grace can be just because we don't want to rock the boat. And actually, the courage to say the truth can be the, the really tricky thing to do and know how to do that well. Anybody else? What were you thinking? Yeah, Faye. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's that sense for me that, that if you can see it and you can get help to see it, it makes the Bible better. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's it kind of like, ah, oh, well, that's kind of interesting at the very least. And if not, uh, skillfully put together. Someone else, what, what 
struck you. One more, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, and so we, the, the, the idea of a counterfeit, that, that looks the same. So you meet two women outside two houses who seem to be offering the same thing. But one offers life and one offers death. Should we pray together?